have a special treat this morning. Kurt Matson's going to share the, the word. Oh, it has been uh, 56 years, about 354 days for me to be standing. And uh, again, my name's Kurt Matson. I don't know most of you, and you don't know me, and that's because I'm a recovering people avoider. And so it's, it's kind of been weird for us to be here. It's been weird for me uh, to come here because I was so different. I mean, we started coming here three years ago. And the guy you see here now um, is not the guy I was. Um, you see my wife and I up here praying for people. Um, three years ago, I would have never done that. The Lord has completely changed my life. So I was praying um, here several weeks ago, and I, I, I was praying, I was reading in Joel, and I came across a verse that just, that just grabbed me and, and, and gripped my heart. Joel 3.14 says, Crowds, great crowds are in the valley of decision, for the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. So here we are, and we're standing in the valley of decision. I got a little bit later, as I was praying, I started thinking about today, today, you know, do a Bible search of today and it's just, it's just crazy the amount of today this, today that, and, and I, was, I was drawn to, to Hebrews uh, 4.7, it says, so God again ordains a certain day, today, speaking through David after so long a time, as in the words quoted before, oh, that today you would listen as he speaks, do not harden your hearts. Holy Spirit. Break up the fallow ground of our hearts. Holy Spirit, thank you for your presence. And uh, the room is yours. And I'll start at the beginning. So I was born here. I grew up in Elgin, and I grew up on a little ranch out there. And so I did all the kind of things that farm kids did and, and uh, um, grew up helping out with the hay and the cows and, and the fencing and all that stuff. Um, I've got uh, two sisters. They're both younger than me. I remember going to church a few times as a kid, but uh, we really, we didn't attend church. My mother did um, when she was young and before uh, she got married, but then my dad's family never went to church, and, and so she quit. So I, di- I didn't grow up in the church. But, you know, I, I was a good kid, I guess. I thought I was a good kid. I, I, I think I wanted to please my parents and do what was right. You know, I was a very shy and nervous kid, and it, it completely controlled me. And, and I kind of wonder now if I wasn't, it, I mean, that was anxiety, and I know that now. And I, I really didn't, I think I, more than pleasing my parents, I didn't want to get in trouble, you know. And so I didn't like getting in trouble. I didn't like conflict, and I avoided it at all, at all costs. We didn't talk about anything in my family. We did not talk. And, and so it, it was, I think, anxiety, you know. I didn't drink or party in high school. Um, and it's interesting because the kegger site was like a mile and a half up the road from my house, you know. And so it was more of the social anxiety and not, I just couldn't interact with people. And, and it just controlled me, and I, and I didn't want to get in trouble. And so, and I think back, a lot of ways, those were kind of the sideboards that kind of kept me, uh, kept me out of trouble. Um, anyway, and in high school, I always found myself in leadership positions, um, I was student body vice president, student body president. In FFA, I held offices all, all the years in my high school. 
And um, I hated it. It was torture, you know. Um, and any of the any of the uh, the contests like parliamentary procedure or whatnot in FFA, it was it was horrible. I was so nervous that I mean I I'd end up in the bathroom throwing up before every every event, and I just hated it. But I always found myself in those places. College was no better, you know. The anxiety still controlled me. I avoided people, avoided situations, and I ended up enlisting in the National Guard. And I think back, I think probably the only, really the reason I enlisted was I didn't want to tell the guy no. <laughs> but really, honestly, but it was good for me. It helped me work through a lot of, a lot of my anxiety. Uh, I ended up in ROTC and went through that. I spent about, uh, about 10 years in National Guard. And so the military helped me work through some of my anxiety stuff. But, you know, then it just piled, it piled more stuff on. And so um, Donna and I, my wife and I met in uh, 1989 or 90. And we got married in 92. Um, and I was not a Christian when we met, uh, but she was. And I remember at the end of our first date, she asked me if I believed in Jesus. And I thought, <laughs> well, I guess I believed that he existed. But, I, I, you know, I didn't, I didn't understand what the question really meant. And so um, she loaned me a Bible that summer, and I started reading in Matthew. And I got to Matthew 7, 3 through 5. And it just it hit me like a two-by-four. It says, why do you see the speck in your brother's eye but fail to see the beam of wood in your own? Or how can you say, let me remove the speck from your eye while there is a beam in your own eye? You hypocrite. And I realized how, uh, how judgmental I am, or was. Um, and, and I truly was. And it just, it really convicted me. And so I continued reading through the summer. When I got through Matthew to the crucifixion, I, I was in tears. I was just heartbroken. But I still, I still didn't understand how to be a Christian. And so I prayed, you know, prayed the sinner's prayer. And, uh, and I just, I didn't receive, I mean, I knew it was a big deal. I knew it should be a change. But I didn't feel what I thought I should feel. I didn't feel that confirmation. And so one evening, Don and I were together, and out of frustration, I know, she asked me, she said, why won't you pray to receive Christ? And I said, I do. Every night I pray, every day I pray. And it was at that moment that I, I knew, I felt the confirmation that I knew I should receive. And it's been, it was sometimes later um, that I understood. Romans 10, 9 and 10 says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe with your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and has righteousness, and with the mouth one confesses and thus has salvation. So I knew that I knew that I knew then. So I remember being at the ranch um, shortly after that, and I, I was sitting out in the woods, I was sitting against a tree, and I was praying. And I got this sensation that I was sitting in the ocean, and I just felt wave after wave of, of warm water washing over me. I didn't know what that was. I did not know. This was in 1990 or 91. I did not know until late in 2019 that that was the Holy Spirit. It was sitting right there with Mitch, and he's teaching on the Holy Spirit, and I'm sitting there, and I, I, I did not know for 30 years that that was the Holy Spirit. So um, we got married in 1992, and we lived in Wallowa County. Donna was working for the Forest Service, and I was working seasonally for Oregon Department of Fish and Wildlife. And we attended First Baptist Church in Enterprise. It's a great church. Um, they're, strong on th they're strong on theology and teaching. They're very conservative. 
and uh, but uncharismatic. But I learned a lot there. There's some really great men there that, that taught me scripture, and I learned uh, to serve. And I learned serve. I spent a lot of time with a lot of older men, nailing roofs and on people's houses and things. I learned a lot. It was a great experience. Our son Will was born in 1998, and Luke was born in in 2001. And during that time in Enterprise, I bounced back and forth working. Uh, as a seasonal employee with Oregon Department of Fish and Wildlife and a stay-at-home dad. And uh, we were both um, active in the church, um, me mostly, in service projects. About 2007, we moved on to the ranch uh, and started building a house. And uh, we attended Harvesters, <clears throat> Harvesters Church of the Nazarene in Elgin. And we were, you know, we were active in ministry there. While we were there, we raised our boys. Will graduated high school and joined the Air Force six years ago. And uh, Luke um, graduated and moved to Texas two years ago. So at that time, we felt like we were moving into a new season. And I know Donna was never completely satisfied in the churches we'd been in. And I was hesitant to get into a charismatic church. I mean, I was. And so we visited several churches here in La Grande, and nothing really seemed to fit. And we came here, and uh, both of us knew um, this was the place we were supposed to be. I mean, even I knew that. So with all of that said, you know, the past three years here is really what I want to talk about. So kind of set the picture when I when we walked in here in the fall of 2019. Um, I've been a Christian for 30 years, and I had never, I'd never experienced the power. And I was dominated by the power of sin, anxiety, Depression, anger, and lust. I, I struggled with pornography my entire life. So uh, my father, years previously, had been diagnosed with Alzheimer's. And he passed away in November of 2019. And it was that journey, going through that with him, that made me look at myself and made me um, think about who I am, who I was, and why am I this way? Why am I the way I am? So, you know, that watching your loved one slip away in a dementia is, I mean, it's life-changing, it's agonizing. So that, that journey set my anxiety and depression out of control. I was drinking more than I realized, and the anxiety thing is just piling on me. Anybody that's experienced anxiety, you know, when that stuff starts stacking up, you get to a point where you can't, you can't do anything. You're just frozen. And it seemed like... It was always the wrong time, the wrong day. Wildflower would call and say, you know, your dad, we're having some issues with your dad today. Can you come up? And so I'd drop whatever I was doing, drive up, and spend some time with dad, and I'd go home. And uh, my, my comfort food was chili cheese tater tots and whiskey. Um, I still like the tater tots. Um, I don't recommend the whiskey. So back to... 2019 fall, sitting here listening to Mitch talk about the Holy Spirit. And he said, I, I never heard anybody speak about the Holy Spirit this way. He said he flows, he blows, he washes, he fills. He makes you a better version of yourself. And Mitch asked around the circle there, have you, have you received the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Those kinds of questions for me would just scare me to death. And I'm sitting there, and of course I'm sitting over here, and he starts over here, and I'm the last guy. And when he gets to me, I said, I don't know, you know. 
but I do know, and I relayed this experience where I was sitting and I felt the washing of warm water, and he said, well, that's it. And I thought, wow. Because I thought when you got the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you had to come forward and have somebody pray for you. They bop you on the forehead, you fall down, and you jump up speaking in tongues. You know, that's what I understood. It's not always that way. So, um, see, so again, I started to ponder myself and the way I was. Uh, and I knew that I was tired of being the way I was. And I'd always struggled with hope, you know, with hope. I mean, I, I felt hopeless. And I was filling in, uh, leading a Bible study that I go to. And one of the guys, we were in Romans, and one of the guys answered his question, his answer to a question that um, Dale, and he asked a question. I don't remember what the question was, but this guy's answer was, there's always hope. And, uh, and this guy, the answer, he's one of these guys that when he says something that's probably true, even if I don't believe it's true, I need to figure out why it's true, because it probably is. And so I, I thought, really, there's always hope. You know, and, and I had read this, this verse. Later on, I, I was leading when we went into chapter 5. In Romans chapter 5, it says, uh, verse 3 through 5 says, Not only this, but we re- rejoice in suffering, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance character, and character hope. And hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. That looks a lot like a mathematical equation. And I st- so I knew that progression must be true. I didn't necessarily believe it or feel it and I, so I just decided to believe it until it became true so shortly thereafter Donna sent me a link to a Derek Prince video and he makes this statement he says anxiety is a familial spirit and I had the realization that I had I had a spiritual problem um, the way I was was a spiritual issue. And so I, st- I got to looking and, and, and I started seeing patterns in my family, uh, in my family history of anxiety and depression and anger and lust. And so I knew I had a spiritual problem. And so shortly after this, Mitch preached that uh, sermon that, y- you know, you are a city sermon. Um, and that was, well, it was January 20, 2020. And he preached that sermon, and, you know, we're like a city. We got potholes. We got uh, broken walls. We got neighborhoods that we, we stuff our stuff in, and, and we wall it off, and we don't ever go there. That, that's who we are inside. And um, at, at the end of that service, he announced that that evening he was going to have a deliverance and healing service. And those types of things would just, they, they terrified me. A- until that day, I would have never gone to, the, to a service like that. And I knew I had to go. And so to understand who I was when I walked through those doors in January 2020, I was controlled by anxiety and depression, anger and lust. And I was, I was sick of it. You know, my anxiety was so bad at that particular time, I would stay up late at night because I knew if I went to bed, I'd go to sleep, I'd wake up and it'd be tomorrow and you got to do it all over again. I was always drinking late at night. I remember uh, staring in the mirror at myself late at night and not, you know, not knowing who, who, who's this, who am I looking at? I don't, I don't know who this is. I hated myself. I didn't know, like I said, I felt like there was so much stuff stacked on me that I was frozen and I'm unable to accomplish anything. So when I walked through those doors, I was at the end of myself. I was just done. I couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't be that way anymore. And I'd never been to the service. Mitch walked by. I'm sitting back there nervously waiting for this thing to start, not knowing what to expect. You know, my anxiety hated that. 
Um, and Mitch walks by and he says, have you ever been to one of these before? And I said, no. And he says, me neither. <laughs> and I was like, I said, I said back to him, I said, the one thing we do know is that Jesus is going to be here. So, Mitch, we get started with the service, and, and we're going through, you know, Mitch, um, at the beginning, he told us, you know, there, there could be, you know, there could be some spiritual manifestations, just be quiet and breathe. And uh, I'm sitting there, and Mitch is praying, and I start, I start feeling this tingling sensation start in my lower abdomen, and, and, and this tingling just works its way up through my chest and passes out of my mouth. And the first time that happened, I thought, I, I was stunned. I thought, it's happening. And so that happened like three or four times. The last time, I had this sensation, and I breathed it out, and as I breathed it out, my lips went numb, and it passed. And I was, I was free. I knew it. It, it was gone. The angst, everything was gone. And I don't know if you know how freedom feels, <laughs> but it is. It, uh, and I'm so overjoyed. I'm sitting there, and I'm thanking Jesus. And, and Mitch moves into the healing portion. I remember thinking, you know, Jesus, I'll take the pain. It doesn't matter. I'm so happy with the, the spiritual, uh, the release, the freedom, that I, whatever, whatever pain I experience in life, I'll take it. I, I, I'll take it. And I'm sitting there. And then uh, it was several weeks later, I, I realized that Jesus died for me to have it all. And for me to pick and choose through his gift like it's a buffet table is wrong. Um, and so I, I, I came to that, um, that understanding. You know, prior to this past week, getting ready for this message, I used to think people would say, you know, deliverance is a process. And I thought, you know, no, mine was instantaneous. But then there's so many other things that the Lord has done for me and to me in the last two years. I thought, well, you, it, it's, it's, a, it's a process. Sometime in the last two years, Mitch, Mitch preached a sermon on confess your sins to one another and be healed. And so uh, from James 5.16, it says, so confess your sin to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has, has great effectiveness. And so I'm sitting in the back there next to the door, and Mitch is preaching. And I don't remember anything specific that Mitch said, but it, it was just the Holy Spirit. I felt the weight and the gravity of my own sin. And, I mean, it, it, it was crushing my heart. Um, I knew the damage my sin had done to my wife and my boys. And I'm sitting there, and I can hardly, I'm, I'm, I can barely contain myself. You know, I never, prior to this, I'd never been an emotional person. And, I, and honestly, I think um, the tears that I experience now are, are not necessarily emotion. But I sat back there, and I, I barely held it together. Um, and, uh, but I made it home. And that afternoon, I sat down uh, with Donna and had um, one of the few real conversations that we've ever had. Um, and I apologize to her for what my sin had done to us and her and, and our boys. I just broke, I just sobbing. I just broke down crying. I've never cried like that. Never, not ever. I mean, there's, honestly, there's, I, I don't know. I can't, I personally can't think of a reason to, to cry like that. I'm mean, sure there are, you know. But anyway, I sobbed like I had never, never cried before. And it was a real breakthrough for me. Um, I think 
and for now, you know, tears are how I react to the presence and the activity of the Holy Spirit now. And so there's a couple of verses that stuck out to me in Jeremiah. The Lord said to Jeremiah in chapter 8, verse 21, this is the Lord speaking to Jeremiah. The Lord is about to judge Israel for their disobedience. And this is what Lord God says to Jeremiah. My heart is crushed because my dear people are being crushed. I go about crying and grieving. I am overwhelmed with dismay. So that's the heart of your God. That's the heart of the God of the Old Testament right there. Herman preached a message back in, this was January 2020, I had to look it up. I remember that he preached the message on the language of tears. I didn't know when, and honestly, at the time he preached it, it didn't really speak, it didn't speak to me at all. But I went back and found it on SoundCloud and listened to it and, read, and listened to it again, and it, and it really helped me understand uh, understand what's going on. You know, I couldn't understand why I'm, why, why I'm crying, you know, why I'm weeping when I am. Um, and so I'm, I'm trying to reach out and trying to figure out what's going on. I heard this guy, Corey Russell, talk about uh, the gifts of, of tongues, tears, and travail. And I'm like, last night I, was, I, couldn't, I couldn't sleep. I was up late, and I thought, you know, Lord, what do you want to talk about? Um, and I, I got lots of books to read, and I don't, I don't want a bunch of new information swimming around in my head before I kind of talk tomorrow. And so I found this book that I read by Corey Russell, and this is, a, this is an excerpt for it, what Corey says. He says, most mornings when I first wake up and open my Bible, I begin to weep. I don't fully understand it, but I know it's tenderizing my heart and my spirit as well as preparing me for the spirit of revelation to hit me. You know, most of the time we think we're not strong enough to serve God. In all honestly, um, most of us aren't weak enough to serve God. So the God, God has given me a prayer burden for, for the lost. Uh, we started coming to Monday Night Prayer about the time of the COVID lockdowns. Um, and and the, God gave me a real burden for the lost, you know, rather than, I had an academic burden for the lost before that, but he really, he really gave me a burden for the lost, and I remember, and sometimes now, I'm gripped in prayer, um, and I just can't shake it, I I feel a burden, Um, and a lot of times, I don't even really have words to speak, I'm just, I I broke down and sobbing for people I don't even know, I prayed for uh, high school acquaintances. We weren't friends. His son was in a horrible ATV accident, and was on Facebook, and he asked for prayer, and I thought, I'm going to pray for these guys. I'm going to pray for him. And driving down the highway to work that morning, I'm sobbing so hard. I got tears in my eyes. I can't see where I'm going. I pull over an embler, and I was gripped with a, with a, with a scripture, and I had, I had to send. I, so I Facebook messenger, I sent it off to him, and I didn't know they were even Christians at the time, but they were. And there's a lot of people praying for this kid, a lot of people. And so he received it. He was thankful for the, for the, for the scripture. And I'm driving down the road, and I get down by Blue Mountain Seed, and I'm sobbing. i got to pull over again. So I pull over, and I, and I just I fired off a prayer on Facebook Messenger to him. I, I just couldn't, I couldn't get away from it until I did that. But I did, and he's very grateful. And this kid... Doctors and nurses were telling you know he'll probably never walk again. His neck's broke. He's really I mean he's really mashed up, and uh, like short a short period of time, two three months, they took him home. He's feet he's he, as far as I can tell he's fine. So a lot of people praying for him, but the Lord um, delivered him. He preached a sermon on uh, you know Jesus tells us to. To heal people. He sent out the 12 and then he sent out the 72, right? 
and they healed people. They, they, they did these things. They did these miracles. And Mitch says, uh, you know, instead of asking Jesus to do it, you do it. And so I, I was kind of stepping out, and, and, and I knew somebody had an ankle injury. And so they'd asked for prayer, so I prayed for this ankle. And I, I kind of stepped out there in authority, and I, you know, probably gently, you know, kind of testing the waters, uh, commanded healing. Well, the ankle got better for like a day, and then it went back to painful again. And so I was asked to pray again, so I did, and it was the same result. And I thought, you know, what's going on here? What, what, have I, what, what am I not doing here? Um, why can't we get this thing done and get it completed? And so I thought, well, maybe I'm not taking authority. And so I thought, well, I, I'm going to read up on spiritual authority. So I get on Google, and first book that pops up, Spiritual Authority by Watchman Nee. If you do any reading at all, read Watchman Nee. Um, and so I thought, I'm going to read this book. I'm going to figure this out. I'm going to grab a holy authority, and I'm going to make things happen. So I read this book, and it flipped me completely upside down. That's not how you take authority. That's not what authority is about. You submit yourself to authority, and an authority will be given to you. And so if we, if we submit ourselves to the Christ's authority, the Father will give us authority, and then he, he trusts us to use his son's name. We pray in the name of Jesus. That, that means something. He trusts us to use his son's name. And then he obligates himself to give us what we ask. And so that, that has, uh, yeah, it's all about submission. So, you know, I had read... Romans 6, 2 says, how can we who died to sin still live in it? And I knew that Romans 6, 6 was true, that my old man was crucified with Christ so that the body of sin would no longer dominate me. But I didn't feel crucified. Um, and you know, a lot of times, you, you, Christians are taught, and this is, this is from Watchman Nee, Christians are taught to reckon yourselves dead. But you have to see it. You have to see that you are crucified with Christ. And I didn't see it. You cannot reckon that you have $15 if you've only got $10 in your pocket. You can't say, I've got 15, I've got 15, I've got 15. You can't write it in the book. You don't have 15, you have 10. So in order to reckon, you can only reckon that which is a fact. And so I, was, I, I, I still did not, I, I didn't feel crucified. And I'm sitting, sitting in bed reading one morning, reading this watchman, and he, and he references a, a scripture um, that I went to and read. I don't even know what the scripture is. I can't even find a specific, a specific passage in the book. Um, but in an instant, I saw it. I knew that I was crucified in Christ. It's probably by design that I can't find that because... Those, those are moments you really can't recreate, and you just, you, you take them, they're part of you, you stand on them, and, and, you, and, you, and you walk forward. So, it's sin no longer dominates, the power of sin no longer dominates my mind. It doesn't, it doesn't control me. I truly want to do what God wants me to do. I, I, I'm going to close with this. So, 
one day, not too long ago, I was, I was contemplating, you know, what is, what is it to see Christ as he truly is? Um, and so 1 John chapter 3, verse 2 says, What we will be has not been, yet been revealed. We know that whenever it is revealed, we will be just like him because we will see him just as he is. And, you know, what is it, what is it to see Jesus as he truly is? And so if we look at John chapter 20, you know, Thomas says, Unless I see his wounds, I will never believe. And eight days later, Jesus showed his wounds to Thomas. In Revelation 5, John sees a lamb in heaven that appeared to have been slain. Jesus carries his wounds in heaven. I know exactly where I was on the highway when I received this revelation that we are supposed to show each other our scars. The things that Jesus brings us through, the things he heals us of are to his glory. And the watchman knee says our ministry is only as wide as our wound. What I know is what, what Jesus has done for me. That's what I know. And we're supposed to show each other what the Lord has done. Bill Johnson talks about testimony. The word testimony means do it again with the same power and authority. And when we give our testimony, we're prophesying. We're saying, look what the, God did this, and he's going to do it again. So it's my desire um, to be an open book. So if you struggle with the things that I've struggled with, you can talk to me. You can call, I'm, in the, I'm in the church directory. I'm open, um, and you can talk to me. I will talk with you, and I will pray with you. My greatest desire is to see people set free. Freedom is just crazy free. I mean, to be, to be bound in slavery for so long and, and then to be free is, is crazy amazing. Um, and so, you know, we, we really can't be the church that we're supposed to be if we're dominated by the power of sin and ashamed to be in the presence of our Lord and Savior. Luke one seventy four says that we, being rescued from the hand of our enemies, may serve him without fear. So I'm, I'm going to have Donna to come up, and, and I want to just invite you to come. If you feel the Holy Spirit working on you right now, and if you struggle with the things I've struggled with, um, and you feel like you, you want to I want, come forward, and, and I want to pray for you.